through them. Do that real quick. Ready? Just reach in front of you and straighten those out. And I realized that that would be a great new habit, just as sure as we say amen, that we just straighten those things out. That'll help the ushers. But in front of you, you'll see this card here. And this is what we call our Get Connected card. And we uh, would love to know if God is doing something in your life, if you accepted Christ, if you, uh, the Lord touched you in a really special way. On the back, there's different boxes you can check off. We have new cards going in next week. And so uh, maybe you're interested in water baptism. Can I say this to you real quick? Jesus and, and the, the Lord commands us to be baptized in water. It's an outward expression of an inward faith. If you've received Christ as Lord and Savior and you've never been baptized in water, it is time to take the plunge. We'll make it fun. We'll put goldfish in the tank. We'll do some, whatever it takes. We'll make sure the water's warm, whatever it is you need. Um, it's a fun experience. It's an exciting service that we do here because we believe baptism is our way of letting everyone know, hey, Jesus has changed my life. I may not be who I ought to, but I'm not who I used to be. And we celebrate that as a community. In the Jewish tradition, when you converted to the God of Israel, they would gather around a baptism tank. In the Hebrew word, it's called a mikvah. And what they would do is, is they saw it as, listen to this language, it was the womb of the world. Jesus had a conversation with Nicodemus. No one, no one, he said, in order to see the heaven, you need to be born again. And he's like, nobody can go back into his mom's womb. And he says, no, born of the spirit. And, and going into baptism is this picture. Here's what they also said. The people that were around you that witnessed this event were called the family of God. We're family here at this church. And uh, we care for people and we love you. And uh, we are only as strong as we are honest. And we are only as close as we draw near to one another. And so that's what baptism is all about, to let everyone know. So if you have never been baptized and you're, you're, you're in a regular new rhythm here with our community, we encourage you, take the plunge. You, you won't regret it. And if you're here today and you fill this information out, you can uh, bring it to the visitor center. It's the desk in the, in the foyer out there on the right. And uh, you can trade it. And we've got ourselves a bag of all kinds of really awesome stuff that's there. I also want to make a quick brief announcement. We have, in a couple of weeks coming up, our annual business meeting. This church is a church of disclosure, and um, we every year put the finances and we put the business of the church out there. It is not a come let me give you my opinion meeting. It's a place where we take care of business, and so we encourage you, if you're a member, uh, to be here. If you're not a member and you want to attend, we welcome you as well to that, but um, last year we had voted in the Constitution and Bylaws what a member looks like and so we believe that a member is a regular part of a community they serve the community they give to the community there's some consistent rhythms because we believe if you have a voice and a vote into God's kingdom you need to have a rhythm and a lifestyle as well and so we encourage you to just take a look out in the foyer we have the leadership we call this our membership leadership covenant and it just walks through what God says about being part of a community here's the other side to this if you're not a member in this church Guess what? We are totally thrilled that you're here and you are not less of a part of our community and family. This is just what it means to be a voting participant in the major decisions of our community. And so we hope that we continue to earn the right to have you step forward and step into that process of membership. And so if you are interested in that in any way, please email office at lolag.org and we would love to get you in our course called Next and unfold that for you. Well... I've talked way too much right now. I want to turn your attentions to the screen where our lovely Sienna Limos is home with her baby. How cute. And the husband is there too, I see. 
And uh, they, we are just so thrilled uh, to have this little one added to the church. We're, it's going to be the most spoiled baby in the congregation, I think. Um, and so we just encourage you to take a look here. She unfolds some of the things that are going on in our community. Thank you. Good morning, Lowell Assembly of God. My name is Sienna, and these are your morning announcements. Next is a class we offer every Sunday from 9 to 10 a.m. This will introduce you to the people and vision of our church and help you get plugged into our community. If you're interested in signing up, please visit lowellag.org slash next steps. Baptisms will be taking place on Sunday, March 31st. If you're interested in being baptized, please email office at lowellag.org. Our annual business meeting will be on Wednesday, March 27th at 6 p.m. All other services are canceled for this day. Also, childcare will be provided. Hi everyone, my name is Michelle and I'm excited to announce our upcoming Membership Sunday on March 17th. My husband and I are new members here at Lowell Assembly of God and we would love for you to celebrate with us. If you are interested in becoming a member or are wondering how the process starts, please see Pastor Dylan at the welcome desk after service or email him at pastordylan at lolag.org. We are excited to celebrate this milestone with you. If you volunteered here at Lowell AG during 2018, you'll be receiving a volunteer banquet invitation in the mail. If you could respond your RSVP to office at lowellag.org, that would be great. We're so thankful for all of you who served in 2018. This year's Easter egg drop will be on April 13th. If you're interested in volunteering and helping out, please email office at lowellag.org. If you're married and looking for a conference to go to in 2019, Family Life is having a Weekend to Remember Marriage Getaway on April 12th to the 14th in Portland, Maine. For more information and to sign up, please visit lowellag.org events. I want to remind you of all the ways we have to give here at Lowell AG. First, if you text Lowell AG to 77977, you will be directed to our online giving. The second is through our app, and the third is a tithe envelope in the pew in front of you. Please remember this verse as you give today. Found in Psalm 37, 21. The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. These have been your morning announcements. Enjoy the service. Morning, everyone. How are you guys doing this morning? Good, good, good. Well, my name is Kevin. I am a member at this church, and I am so happy that you guys peeled yourselves out of bed on a Sunday and came to worship Jesus with us. At this time, I would like to invite the ushers forward so we could uh, receive uh, our tithes and offerings. Um, Prime Minister of Great Britain during World War II, Winston Churchill, once said, We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. So in light of that, let's give cheerfully so that we might make a life. And I did this in first service, so it's only right to do it in second service. We're going to do one, two, three, four prayer. We do it in kids' church, so with me. Jesus, we thank you, God, that you give, gave us the privilege to uh, wake up and enjoy another day of life. Father, and we thank you that you have given us the, uh, the strength to be able to go out and work and provide for our families and that you have uh, sowed into our lives so generously, God. So, Father, we pray that as we give back to your kingdom 
that you would use it magnificently to make a life. For God, we're just living to breathe, to eat, to sleep, to dream, is to live. But we want to do more than live. We want to make a life. So, Father, we thank you that you've given us the opportunity and privilege to do so. And we pray this all in your magnificent and precious name. Amen. Have you ever experienced this moment? The moment that you know you're called to do something significant with your life. Something that matters. Something that makes an impact. Something that leaves a legacy long after you're gone. No matter who you are, we are all called to be followers of Jesus. But following him looks different for each individual. Maybe you'll be a teacher or a business person an actor, a scientist, a pilot, a musician, a pastor, or a missionary. See, we are all called to share Jesus with the world around us. But what if Jesus was calling you to the other end of the world? What if everything in your world faded away? What if your name never became famous? And what if you never even received a paycheck? What if it cost you everything? For some people, these questions have not only been asked them, but they have been answered with an uncommon sense of boldness. Did you know that 40% of the world's population has no access to the gospel? Now let that sink in for a moment. Four out of ten people don't even have a way to hear about the life-changing message of Jesus. A vast number of these people live in Arab nations. More than 1.7 billion Muslims live in our world today, with almost no Christian influence around them. So, how can we change this? How can we as Americans, with a church on nearly every street corner, make a difference in the places where churches don't even exist? In order for some parts of the world to hear the gospel, it takes men and women who are willing to risk it all, even their own lives, so others might be saved. Speed the Light is a Christian organization that is providing equipment, media, and vehicles for missionaries to go into these places and more. Will you partner with Speed the Light? Will you make the choice to live dead? In other words, will you choose to die to something, to give it up, so that money can go towards someone hearing the life-changing message of Jesus for the first time? Because... Some people are willing to risk it all for the whole world to hear. Are you not scared of being arrested? Yeah, but I don't let fear dictate the call of God that's on my life. Test. Can you hear me? You may be seated. 
sometimes with a message, you know, you, you kind of just like, I don't know where this needs to go. And so poor first service, they're like my guinea pigs, right? And so uh, I just kind of, I realized I've got two messages squeezed into one. And uh, I'm just going to toss that. Awesome. Uh, before, one last very important announcement here. Uh, some, how many of you know Ben Sweeney? He is, he is a bookend in this community. This, uh, the other day, his grandmother passed away uh, from a long-standing battle with uh, her health. And so this Tuesday night, this Tuesday, why don't you, if you know him very well, if you'd reach in your pocket and take a picture of this information, we'll try and get it up on the website. But this Tuesday night at the James O'Donnell and Sons Funeral Home in Pawtucket Street, Lowell, we're going to have a service uh, at 6.30, and I know if you know him and you love him, your presence there would be a great comfort to them and to their family. So we invite you to join us there and uh, share your love and support with them. Awesome. Well, having said all that, I say this. It, we're in our, uh, our ongoing new series called The Original Spoken Word, and uh, just appreciate how Vance looks in cartoon up there. Thank you for modeling that. Thank you, Reuben, for making that happen. Appreciate all the, the work that went into this. And it's the original spoken word. And God says that, uh, that holy men spoke as they were carried by the Holy Spirit. And God's word is power. There's a difference between, you know, Tony Robbins saying, this could be your greatest year ever. You're going to sell and sell. And, you know, and all those kind of motivational speakers. There's a difference between that and hearing, thus saith the Lord. When God speaks, when God speaks, it's powerful. And the prophets are the expert spokesmen. They have one ear in heaven and they have their eyes and their mouth speaking into the situations around them. And so here we find ourselves in Joel chapter 2. And first service, the poor guinea pigs. I, I tried making two messages happen in one and I just had to cut my losses three-fourths of the way through it. We're not going to do that here. We're going to slow it down and, uh, and we're going to let God say what he wants to say through his word. I've given you as promised a fuller outline there, but I think we've, we've prayed, but I wonder if you'd pray with me one last time that God would help us hear what the Spirit says to the church today. Amen? Father, it's one thing to hear. It's another thing to listen. And your word in Hebrew, to hear the word of the Lord, means to obey it as well. So we want to hear the word of the Lord today. We don't want to be like the person that James talks about that looks in the mirror and walks away and forgets what we look like, but we want to allow your word to search us, Lord. Change us. Show us. Arrange us, Lord. Make us more like your son, Jesus. Father, I pray that uh, as we look at the book of Joel, that the book of Joel would look at us and we would hear what you have to say to us through your word. Your word is powerful. We just want you to know that we'll listen with our, not only our head, but with our heart and even with our hands to put it into practice. In Christ's name, amen. Turn with me to Joel chapter 1. The reason I was conflicted is because the first half of this chapter is really strong and the second half is like real sweet. And I realized that sometimes things have to get worse before they get better. Sometimes God's not worried about leaving something uncomfortable hang out there. The American story is the one that always ends like this. And they lived happily ever after. Um, 
We're obsessed with that ending. We pay billions of dollars to Hollywood to create those endings for us. But every story has moments of tension and here in the book of Joel, we have that moment. I wanna run so quick to the sugar of the last days he'll pour out his spirit on all flesh and run right to that message. But that means that I have to ignore the very thing that brought the people in the book of Joel to that moment, which was genuine deep repentance. The first half of this message I want to speak with you today is, is that God wants to show us how to repent thoroughly in order that we could be filled completely. First half this week will be repent thoroughly. Next week will be to be filled completely. I feel like I do an injustice to the truth that God wants us to marinate in our soul if we just rushed right to the to the Pentecostal section of the book. And yet the very thing that brought them there was the tension that God allowed to hang out there. Right now, I, I, I'm gonna make a statement and I want you to know in this church, we understand that there are many of you that are in all kinds of political fashions, you know? There's some of you, if I threw on a MAGA hat, you'd be like, yeah! And then some of you'd be like, I hate you. Listen, Obama was not my savior. Trump is not my savior. Jesus is my savior. I also believe that a Christian should be politically involved and that's a part of life and it's our responsible as citizens in this nation and it's important to be there, but never at the expense of civility. I feel that politics have reached a point in our nation where we've lost what it is to be civil. We say that freedom of speech is only you saying the things that I can agree with. That's not freedom of speech. Freedom of speech is respecting people's different dispositions. Uh, but Having said that, there are several nations that our country has put sanctions on. And the reason that we've put sanctions on them is because we understand that if their trajectory does not stop, it can lead to some terrible things. There are a handful of you in this room that have seen the face of war. I've not fought in war, but I've walked through it, and I've seen its face, and I've seen its scars. I haven't fought in it, but I've been in it, and I've seen it. Some of you have fought in it, some of you have seen it. Some of you have fled it for your lives and come to this country. It's a horrible thing to see. And pray that we never see that on our own land. But we put sanctions on certain nations because I wonder what the political conversation in our country would be like after a bomb is detonated in Toronto, after a nuclear missile hits San Diego, after a bomb blows up in Munich. I wonder what the conversation would be in our country. Right now I look at the conversation and most of the conversation that's going on there and I'm like, this is not really intelligent conversation, it's rhetoric. But I wonder what the conversation and the words would be like after something like that happened. I think there was a time in our history, in our world where in World War II when the atomic bombs were dropped, as horrific and horrible as that was, it gave the world pause. And yet just recently, Russia has two fighter jets that fly twice the speed of sound right down in Latin America and they're super nuclear bombers and they're zipping around. Never have we been closer to a world that at the snap of a finger could steamroll into blowing itself up seven times over and making it uninhabitable for all life on the face of the earth. 
And this is why we've put sanctions on certain nations. And I've come to realize something about sanctions. And this is actually, I'm getting to where I'm preaching, but I'm giving a very real conversation that I think should be part of our prayers, should be part of our mind, should not be part of our rhetoric. But take a place, I'll just, since it's in the forefront of the news, take a place like North Korea. And for decades, we have put sanctions on that nation and then we lift it off of them and we end up at the same place all over again. God in his wisdom knows how to put sanctions on our life because he does it to modify our behavior to keep us from destroying ourselves and destroying others as well. And I'm so grateful that number one, he is a God that is not afraid to hurt me in order to help me, but he's also a God that is not trying to win me over with favors and opportunities but he tries to win me over to get my attention. And as we spoke about last week, God said this. He said, do I have your attention now or do I need to send another disaster? We also put bookmarks on this to say that this is, a, this is not a universal principle that works in all situations. Bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. But there are times where God leverages circumstances to get our attention and that is exactly what he's doing in the book of Joel and so in chapter one he says I'm sending a locust army they go through and those aren't very real part of our world but in the Middle East you could have a locust swarm come through and when they're done literally there's nothing left and now there is no Walmart there are no pre-packaged frozen foods so when that trouble came through people starved to death it was total utter loss and in chapter one, God gives them an invitation to repent. And then all of a sudden, chapter two comes and he moves from the disaster of the locusts or an initial army. Now he talks about an actual army that will come. I pray we never see that in our day, in our country. I pray we never see that. But that disaster comes and it begins in chapter two, verse one. And I'd like to read it to you. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming, and it is near a day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness, there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. Their like has never been before, nor will be again after them. Though the years, uh, through the years and through all generations, fire devours before them and a flame behind them burns. The land is like a garden of Eden before them and behind them a desolate wilderness. And nothing escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses and like war horses they run. As with rumbling of chariots they leap on top of the mountains. The crackling of flame of fire they devour the stubble. Like powerful army they draw up for battle. Before them people are, are in anguish. All faces grow pale. Like warriors, they charge. Like soldiers, they scale the wall. They march on his way. They do not swerve from their path. They do not jostle one another. Each marches in his own path. They bust through the weapons and are not halted. They leap upon the city. They run upon the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened. The stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. 
He who executes his word is powerful. For the day of the Lord is great, very awesome. Who can endure it? Who can endure it? He starts off his message by saying this, blow a trumpet. Now I've got a ram's horn. I've got this thing with these things. Like whenever you go to Israel and you're there, people always feel the compulsion to buy one of these. And then everywhere you visit, they're going around going, and you're like, oh my goodness, please don't, don't do that. It's like the spiritual moment. And I don't even think they sound that cool. It's just like, you know. But back in the day, these were used. Do you want, I'll give you one shot of this. You want to hear it? Cool, huh? So just let me try it one more time. And so people will travel all through the Holy Land doing this, and like they'll be like, hallelujah, and I'll be like, no, man, that just sounds nasty. And technically, these are like toenails off the head of, a, of an animal, you know, and they're just, yeah, seriously, they're nasty. But back in the day, back in the day, this was the air siren. And whenever a city you lived in uh, was, was built, it had walls going up around it. Because if an army came, the only safety that you had initially was to run into the refuge of the city. And so on the walls, Ezekiel talks about this in, in his book in chapter 33, verses 2 through 4, that the, the watchman is on the wall. And when people are outside and they see an army coming, they're to put the trumpet to their mouth and warn the people to come into refuge. But he says this, he says, if you see the army coming and you blow the trumpet and the people ignore you, the blood is on their head. But he says this, he says, if you see the army coming and you do not blow the trumpet, I will hold you accountable for it. And the prophets, in a certain way, are the ones that put the trumpet to their mouth and send a warning to the people saying, listen, our trajectory is not a good one and judgment is pending and God is trying to get our attention and we need to turn to him and we need to repent. And so their word was like this trumpet and the prophet Joel is setting the trumpet to his mouth and warning the people saying, listen, God sent disaster. He sent a locust swarm. He sent an army. He sent this. It's about to get really bad. And if you, you need to pay attention to what God's saying, he wants you in right relationship with him. He wants you within the refuge of the city of his covering and of his protection. And if you don't, don't, disaster waits for you. The chauffeur was used to warn the people. Zechariah chapter 9 verse 14 says, The Lord himself will put the shofar to his mouth, the trumpet to his mouth, and command his army and send them. He's saying, I'm and listen, here's the thing. In both of these examples, God is saying, I'm trying to warn you. I'm trying to get your attention. I'm trying to reach you. I need you to pay attention. And why? Because it says this in verse 2, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord is near. What is the day of the Lord? Pretty much, let me just describe it to you this way, worst day ever. You ever wake up in the morning and you just look at me and it's like, ugh, and your hair is there, it goes left and your, your breath is going right and your brain is worst day ever. But here's what, here's what I, I talked about earlier last week. In one part in the scripture verse, it says, their appearance is like that of horses and chariots. And, 
And sometimes we're so obsessed with the future interpretation of foretelling the future with prophecy that we miss the number one central part of prophecy, which is this, to foretell the mind and will of God in the culture and the circumstances that are around us so that we will respond and repent and, and recover and be restored in a right relationship with God. And so many times, like the young man that I talked about before on the street, I could have a full-on conversation with a kid about all the end time stuff, about the valley of Armageddon and about the, the Antichrist and about this and about that. And some of you, you know, have had conversations with people about that. But the second I talk about the revelation of God concerning his sin and his drug addiction and, his, and, and the, the destruction that he, and the pain he's brought upon his family, he don't want to talk anymore. Foretelling versus forthtelling. And when some, so many times I believe that not only uh, the world but the church is so obsessed with seeing the future of prophecy that we miss the present warning that God is trying to speak into our lives and into our circumstances. Now here's the other interesting thing about, you know, the day of the Lord. There's this, it talks about like, there's going to be this day where God will judge the earth in righteousness, worst day ever. The sun is going to fall out of the sky. Earth's going to shake I mean, this is like as bad as it can possibly get. And Joel is looking forward and he's saying there's a day coming where this will be really bad. In prophecy, there is, there is, and we said this, there are moments in scripture where it foretells into the future. It's not the core, it's not the core cuisine of the prophets, but it's in there. And this thing of the day of the Lord is in there. We see it mentioned not only in Joel, but then later on we see it elsewhere. And we see it also in uh, all the way in the book of Acts. And then the New Testament writers talk about it. And there's this thing that goes on with prophecy where there's what we would almost call dual application. Um, I want to say parallelism, but those of you that are, are, are New Testament and Old Testament scholars, you're instantly thinking of the literary form of it. But there's almost like a, uh, there's a day of the Lord, like the day of the Lord, but then there are also moments that are going to be God's day that's like that day. We, we know that there is a day coming where Jesus is going to just say, game over. I'm going to set this right. What you took millennium to mess up, I'm going to make right in a moment. And I'll judge the earth in a day. But in the meantime, there are these moments, these triggers where disaster hit and God is trying to speak into the situation and recapture the hearts and minds of people. And this kind of application, you see this in the New Testament. For instance, I'll give you an example of this. The book of 1 John, chapter 2, verse 18, <laughs> reads like this. Children, <clears throat> it is the last hour, the end times. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that this is the last hour. Think about what he just said. Antichrist, for those of you that might be like, what in the world's an antichrist? Like an anti-acid? Like what in the world is this thing? Antichrist, for those of you that have the inside track and have grown up in the church, which is about maybe two-thirds of our community here. But for those of you that haven't, there, we believe there's a day coming. The Bible says clearly that there's someone that is going to represent everything opposite of who Jesus is. Everything good about him, everything forgiving, everything loving, everything selfless. This individual is going to rise to power and his, his job is really simple. Ruin everything. He's going to pretend to be trying to help everything, but he's going to ruin everything. But here's the thing. Here's John saying, hey, we know that singular, the Antichrist is coming. But, plurally, Antichrists have come. If ever there was somebody that looked like an antichrist, Adolf Hitler was it. 
Stalin. <laughs> Stalin beat, although Adolf Hitler is responsible for six and a half million Jews being uh, in a pure genocide. What a lot of people don't know is, is that Stalin killed 20 million of his own people. I mean, Ceausescu, we could talk about Romania, that dictator, and, and one of our members goes back and forth into that part of the world and works with orphans. That man was responsible for killing countless people. Dictators in places like Uganda or Angola, Africa, Mobutu Sese Seko, and, and we could talk about the Democratic Republic of Congo and Liberia, or person after nation, after place, after this spirit. It's a spirit, a type of antichrist, and it's all over the place. One day there is that one person that's coming, but, but it's pervasive. And here with the day of the Lord, Joel is throwing out there, and the New Testament writers are talking about, hey, the day of the Lord is coming, that final day, but there are lots of these kind of things that reflect this that are right in the spirit of it and here's the amazing thing is is that God's people were so off so wrong think about that statement right there God's people were so off and so wrong Isaiah says woe to those who say that which is evil is good, and those who say the good is evil. They didn't know right from wrong. It was like they lost their way. And God says to them in the book of Joel, he speaks out to them, he says, verse 17, why should they say among the people, where is their God? The disaster that we create because the shame that we bring from the stupidity that we give. Why should they say among the people, where's your God? When I was, before I was a follower of Christ, I, I didn't grow up in church per se. I had a godly mom and dad and they kind of evolved out of the Catholic church into the Catholic charismatic movement. And then my mom ended up in the Assemblies of God and then this is where I've landed ever since. We're in Assemblies of God Pentecostal church. And, um, uh, but I remember when I would throw parties, when I wasn't even serving Christ and I was just out of my mind and I would watch all the Christian kids show up and we would just torture them. I was like, you're pathetic. You can't even sin right. What a joke. And you know, the real torture of when God's people aren't right is not so much the pain of the sin as much as the shame an absence of God's presence that we've known and loved that we feel. Many of us in this room can remember a moment, those of you two-thirds that have grown up in the church, can remember a moment where God's love broke through, melted your heart, and he put his finger on things in your life that were not right, and you said, you know what? I love you more than I love satisfying myself. Pleasure and sin is not my God. You are I'm going to say no to that, and I'm going to start saying yes to you. Whatever you want, Jesus. Some of you remember moments like that. And the torture, when we're not right with God, is that same thing that David felt when he failed God in, Psalm, in the book of Psalms, verse 52. He sang a song, created me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me. How many of you have the song going through your mind right now as I'm saying that, right? 
We should do that song sometime. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. David wrote that after he committed adultery with his most loyal friend and soldier and sent him to his death. And he said, oh my goodness, how, how did I get here? And with tears pouring down his face, he began to pen one of the most beautiful psalms. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Please renew a right spirit within me. And then he writes these words, and I've never heard anyone put these together. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. David is begging God, please don't let me become like King Saul. See, King Saul, for those of you that haven't heard all the stories and stuff, King Saul was the first king of Israel. And yet, because of his pride, because of his insecurities, because of his sinfulness, God lifted his presence and said, I reject you as king. And he became crazy, tried killing David. You know what? It's amazing the things that we do when, when God's spirit lifts from us. And some of us in this room here today remember a time when the sweet love of God was so close and dear that you said, I don't care what you want from me, I'll do it. And now you're in a place in your life right now and you're saying, how in the world did I get here? And in your soul, although we're singing songs this morning, deep inside your heart, there's a, there's a loop track going on there saying, God, created, please create in me a clean heart. God, please renew a right spirit within me. Oh God, please don't cast me from your presence. Don't take your spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of what it is to be saved. Renew a right spirit within me. See, the pain is not just the absence of God, but how ridiculous we behave when we have a wrong spirit because God's spirit is not there. I am an incredible person. To know me is to love me. Seriously. But I am one of the most wicked evil, vile people you'll ever meet if God's spirit's not in control. I was plotting to take $250,000 from someone and kill them with a group of people. That's who I was. When God was not a part of my life, that's who I was. And there are moments in my life, maybe like you, where Jesus just totally changed you and made you a new person. But somehow along the way, you stopped paddling and you looked up and the distance between you and the God you knew and loved and the person you became, you're like, how in the world did I get here? How did I get here? How did I ever allow Jesus to become an appetizer and a seasoning in my life instead of my life completely? I'll never forget shame and he says this in verse 17 right why should they say among the people where's your God you know it's funny God could have nailed me on anything I hadn't killed anyone up to that point thank God it was the stupidest plan ever I would have been doing prison for the rest of my life anyway I can't do anything right when it comes to sin I get caught all the time but I totally entertained that idea but when I sat down and I was in this pastor's office and he was saying hey Paul God wants to make you right with him. And he began to share with me. You know what was amazing? It wasn't any of the sins that were at work in my life that convicted me. He read the book of Proverbs and it said, a disgraceful son shames his father and dishonors his mother. 
It was actually the commandment where God says, honor your mother and father, that drew a tear to my eye for the first time. And I was overwhelmed with shame. I was like, I've disgraced my parents. These, and I'm telling you, I've got really amazing, wonderful, great parents. But I realized that I shamed them. And I said, oh God, change me, save me. And here's the amazing thing. In my distress and maybe in your distress, maybe you don't know who Christ is and you haven't invited him as Lord yet. Or maybe you have and you're like that person that I'm talking about right now where it's like all of a sudden the God you knew and the person you were are so far apart from each other. You're like, I don't even know how to find my way back. And verse 12 says this, yet even now declares the Lord your God, return to the Lord your God. Yet even now. See, God always offers an option to change the way it is to the way it could be again. Somebody grateful for that? Somebody say amen to that? That's like a Christian thing we say. Like, that's like, oh my goodness, legit. You could say it a thousand different ways. Like, that's what amen is. Like, like oh my goodness, I just like, yes. Um, even now, the prophet says, yet even now, and this is God speaking to the people in Joel's day, and he's speaking to us, yet even now, yet despite how far you've been from me, yet despite the vileness of what you've done and what you're doing and what you're planning to do, yet even now declares the Lord your God. See, God doesn't even disown us. He still, although he could totally be embarrassed and disgusted and ashamed with us and totally have nothing to do with us, walk away and totally be justified for it, he doesn't do that. He looks at us and he says, yet even now declares the Lord your God. I'm your God. I love you. I know what you are, but I also know what you're not, and I want to help you yet even now God's offering an opportunity and a chance and he says this return to the Lord your God it's an invitation from God to turn your life around this is the incredible thing this is this is a Hebrew word and you're going to love this because you're not going to even know what it means but literally to shove just shove turn to your neighbor and just shove him say shove but now put a oov in there and just say shove you have just spoken Hebrew it's not a shuv and it's not a shove. It literally is the Hebrew word. It means to turn. So let's say that Jesus is there. And his name is Joe Katie and he's behind a camera, right? So here he is and you're looking at, at a relationship with God. And he's looking at you. And you're open and you're honest. To shuv is to do this. To turn. And now... The word hypocrite literally means this. Not only do you turn, but while you're going in this direction that you know is completely wrong, you pretend and tell everybody that you're actually facing this way. Uh-oh. That's what we're in jeopardy of. See, you're only as strong as you are honest. It's amazing how critical we can be of other people and everything. And then all of a sudden when God puts his finger and says, you know what, you need to confess that sin to somebody because you're only as strong as you are honest and you need to get help. It's amazing how humble it makes us all of a sudden to realize, oh my goodness, I need God's help just like everybody else. And instead of us criticizing everyone, we begin to start helping each other. That's the church as God desired it. Now, what's amazing about this section of scripture is it's not just the things that are said that blow my mind. It's the things that are not said. For instance, what's not said that's pretty obvious here is, is that the call to repent in chapter one that we talked about last week seems to have had little effect. 
there's this device on alarm clocks that I believe was invented by hell itself. And it's called the snooze bar. Snooze bar was invented and uh, I was looking at the history of it, but what, what escapes me and, you know, in detail, I, I do know this is that it pull, your alarm goes off, it pulls you out of REM state and all you do is hang in a worthless phase of half awake, half asleep that doesn't make you feel more rested but actually makes you feel more depleted but yet you keep hitting it and hitting it and hitting Could you just set your alarm and get up when you're supposed to get up? You guys remember, what about Bob? Trying to wake him up, can't get him up. And yet here, the children of Israel, God has tried getting their attention with repentance and they keep hitting snooze and keep hitting snooze. And the other thing that blows my mind is not only did the first call to repentance fail, but also none of the specific sins of the people are really brought out in detail. All the prophets usually when they're like, hey, let me tell you what your problem is. And God lists the offense. Here, they're not really listed in detail. Because you know what that tells me? It tells me this, that really no specific sins are mentioned because deep down inside, I really know what's wrong that I need to make right. I just want to keep ignoring it. And hitting snooze. And he says to them this, rend your hearts, not your garments. Why? Because in Judaism, if you were upset about something, you ripped your cloak and you didn't just go down to the local store and get a new coat. It took about a month to stitch one of those. So it was a, a loss. And they're like, ah, you know, and they'd rip their clothes and, they, they, and they'd make a big scene. But true repentance is not measured by outward demonstration as much as inward transformation. See, the change on the outside begins because the true broken repentance has begun on the inside. If I try to just make it all external, all I'm doing is maintaining an appearance. And I think in vain we hide our sin to avoid the reproach of man and we go through the motions of repentance to avoid the disfavor of God because we don't want anyone on our back telling us what we already know needs to change. And yet he goes on and he says this. He says, the Lord, he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He relents over disaster. This just hit me as I was reflecting on this verse. All the attention of what he just said about the change that can happen in the people's lives had nothing to do with the people. It had everything to do with the character of God. Because the hope of change doesn't reside in the volume or the power of our actions but in the gentle force of God's character. That's where real change happens. Not when you ramp up and hype up stuff. We can make a lot of motion and commotion and real change doesn't happen, but when we pause and we say, oh God, you're God, I'm not. You define what's right and wrong for my life, not me. You show me what needs to change and my responsibility is to get on the same page with you and to do that. And at the end, I'm powerless to change. It's you because you're gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. You relent over disaster. And this is what's amazing. The prophet says this, who knows whether or not the Lord would turn and relent and leave a blessing behind. What's amazing is the same word that he says, turn to me with fasting and weeping, because he's saying your back was to me, you were turned away from me, turn back to me in this relationship where we have a real connection and change going on. Let, let me change you. But now God says, hey, maybe, maybe if you change your actions, I might change 
the situation. There's this big debate in Christianity about, you know, changing God's mind. Well, you know, the Lord doesn't change his mind ever. You know what? The truth of the matter is, is that human repentance doesn't control God, but it certainly has been able to influence him time to time. And I think often what happens is, is when we allow our hearts and lives to be broken over the things that break God's heart and change the things that we need to change and stop doing what we need to stop doing and start doing what we need to, when we begin to do that, God looks at us and says, now, you're, now, now I can take you seriously. He's able to, up to that point, say, let's lift the sanctions and begin to see some good things happen in your life. Look at Jonah. This is so clear in the book of Jonah. He says this, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And then he says, when God saw what the, pe what, uh, what the people did, how they repented, how they turned from their evil ways, God returned to, uh, relented on the disaster that he said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. And Jonah throws a pity party because he hates these guys that he was sent to preach to. And he prayed and he said, oh Lord, is this not why? When I left, yet in my, when I was in my country, this is why I made haste to flee for, to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love. See, God changes the inevitable judgment by offering an opportunity. God changes his mind when we change our will and we begin to obey him and take him seriously. And he says, yet even now. Yet even now, that this thing that you dread, that trap that's waiting to spring, that sin that's about to shine and be exposed, that consequence that's pending, yet even now declares the, the Lord, repentance moves the heart of God. Who knows whether he will not relent in your life, your child's life, your community's life. He's gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He relents over disaster. What's done is done. But you can minimize the damage and maximize the blessing by a simple act called repentance. And then he turns around and he says to the people, blow the trumpet. He takes the trumpet now and he says to the prophet, blow it. But this time it's not to warn them that an army's coming. This time it's saying, it's time to get serious with your relationship with me. As serious as you are about an army that's going to invade, I need you to be that serious about getting your life right with me. And he says to the prophet, the prophet says to the people, he says, put the trumpet to your mouth. Declare a holy fast. Bring the people in. And he begins to unfold it further in there. And he says this. He says, the same way that I announce judgment is the same way that I want to announce repentance. As serious as death. And look at the guest list. If you read a little further from chapter uh, 2, verses 15 to 17. He says, I want the adults in the congregation. I want the elders, the elderly people. I want the children. In fact, he even says, I want the babies that are nursing. Right now, Sienna's home on maternity leave and they're at their house, but if this fast was called, they would be calling up all the moms and say, it doesn't matter, bring your baby, nurse them in the church, we need to get right with God. This is life, and this is death. This is serious, and this is now, and if we don't get it right now, it's going to be too late, and they blow that, and they say, mothers, they even say to brides that are waiting, imagine a bride in a chamber, and she's like, this is my day, and she's got her nails done, and her hair's done, and then all of a sudden, someone's like, stop the wedding! We need to go to church and repent. They'd be like, not on my day you're doing this. And this is how serious they took it though. And they're saying stop everything. And weep. God wants you to weep between the porch and the altar. God restores tears to our eyes. When we allow our hearts to take serious the thing that he takes. You know what so many of us were so dismissive. We're just like whatever. 
And the whole time God's like, what do you mean whatever? How many of you are married and you know how this relationship situation goes, right? Where you're dismissive of something that's important to the person you're married to. You keep that trajectory for a long period of time, it ends in a thing called divorce. You have to learn how to care about the things that the other person cares about. And yet sometimes with God, we just are dismissive. Whatever, this is just the way I am. This is just how I am. You just gotta accept me, Jesus loves me. And, and, and God's like, can you weep over the things that I weep over? And we can't weep if we don't reflect. We can't weep if we insulate ourselves from shame because we just don't wanna feel bad about it. But the whole time, the only good that's gonna come from our life is as if we turn our hearts back to him. We can't weep if we don't care or consider our relationship with God as important. We don't weep if we can't be offended with offending him. We can't weep if we could care less if we're separated from him or not. And this is the prayer they pray. Oh Lord, weep and say, spare your people, oh Lord. And make your heritage a reproach and a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the people, where's your God? When we drive out God, the world looks at us and says, if that's what being a Christian is, why bother? People look at us and say, that's what a Christian is? I mean, we've got the greatest message in the world. But yet we want to play in the mud. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I want to tell you about a moment that happened here. This Tuesday, every Tuesday, the pastoral staff, the office staff, several other people, and you're welcome to join us anytime you want from 8 to 9. We pray in this room. And we walk around and we say, oh, God, move, touch your people. And as we were thinking about this passage, my heart turned to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel sitting in Babylon. The people have already experienced the shame of being moved from their country. He's in Babylon. And he's reading the book of Jeremiah. And then all of a sudden he reads a prophet foretelling the future. In 70 years, you'll be returned to your country. And I will restore blessing and grace and goodness. I'll cause the wine to flow and the fields to grow and the rain to fall. And I mean like happy bliss awesomeness. And then all of a sudden, Daniel looks at the prophecy and the promise of Jeremiah. And he looks at the people and he says, oh my goodness, we're not right with God. We're going to miss it again. We don't have our attention towards him. And Daniel does something that's so amazing to me. He says, if nobody will repent, I'll do it. I'll do it for them. And he prays a prayer that's like this, oh God, to you belongs honor and glory. To us, shame and disgrace and deception. We have ignored your prophets, scorned your word, brought disgrace after disgrace but oh lord hear from heaven for you are gracious and merciful and compassionate abounding in love who knows maybe you'll relent see i could sit here and list off a whole bunch of sins that have impacted the fruitfulness of your life and have hindered why the idea of a close relationship with God is a memory to you instead of a reality for you. 
but I dare say this. You already know. You already know. And here's what I'd love to do is I'm going to have the band just, we're going to just, we're not going to rush out of here, but we're just going to take, just, just give me three more minutes. I want us to take a minute. When was the last time that you said, like David did, the one that wrote that created me a clean heart? He wrote another psalm and a song, and it was this. Search me, O Lord. See if there's any wicked way in me. You see, some of us never want to be alone and always want to be busy because when we are, God keeps putting his finger back on that thing and says, that needs to change. He says to us, weep. When was the last time you were broken over the things that break God's heart? See, I could jump right into the latter half of this passage. In the last days, God will pour out His Spirit on all flesh. Your, your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions and prophesy. And all who call the name of the Lord shall be saved. They never got to that place without going through this moment in Joel where they wept between the porch and the altar. Your sin is not all right with God. It's wrong. It's sin. And it will find you out. But he is gracious, compassionate, abounding in love, forgiving sin and wickedness to a thousand generations. I wonder if in one moment here that we could just close our eyes and invite God to say, Lord, no making excuses, no turning up the music, no sending a text and ignoring what's going on. Lord, right now, I think I already know what you're going to say. But what do you want to say in me that needs to change for me to experience the blessing of God in my life again? What needs to change? What needs to go? What needs to stop? What needs to start? Let's take one minute and just reflect on this. soften our hearts, search us, create in us a clean heart, renew a right spirit within us. Lord, this morning, we repent, 
as David said, it's against you and you alone that I have sinned. Lord, forgive us for offending you. Forgive us for trying to rewrite morality and character, making excuses for things that there are no excuses for. Lord, our attention is not just on our honesty. Lord, we can only be as strong as we are honest. And that requires for us to be brave. So Lord, this morning we just say to you in honesty, we're not who we ought to be. And we ask for your forgiveness. But Lord, in strength, we say to you, we're not who we used to be and we're not going to be who we used to be. Come into our life again. Forgive us of our sin. Lord, restore to us the joy of our salvation as David wrote about that because we're in right relationship with you again. Renew a right spirit within us. Lord, help us to know that we never were going to be good enough anyway. The reason that David was a man after your heart was because not he was per- that he was perfect, but because he knew when he was wrong and he was able to admit it and he gave attention to change it. And so this church, Lord, we want to be a church after your own heart. We don't want to pretend to be something we're not in hypocrisy. We don't want to turn our back on you in apostasy. But we want to have an open, honest relationship with you. Forgive us of our sin. We pray this in Jesus' name. As we close here, I'm going to have the worship team sing. Here's the thing. There's a sweet presence of God here. I would not want to squander it or waste it. Some of you have to leave when we get it. Some of you don't. If God put his finger on something, here's my invitation to you, that rather than sitting where you're at and always doing what you always did, always getting what you always got, that you would come forward as an individual, maybe as a family. I don't know who or what this requires to you as the worship team plays. But you'd come forward. Nobody's going to pray with you. This is your chance to come before God and say, oh God, I give this to you, and I'm leaving it with you. That's the invitation. God bless you as you stay. God bless you as you go. The Lord is for you and he loves you. He loves you. There's nothing before that could ever come close. Nothing can compare your
So 